This podcast was recorded on June 5th, 2020. Hello, ladies and gentlemen and people outside the binary. This is Less Stupid with Thomas Huda, a show that's completely uncut, uncensored, and unsure if I'm going to get a little sweaty in the sun during this, honestly. But I sweat a lot, so I probably will. Uh, but here I am today with Candace King. Candace is a former uh, city council candidate here in Ward 1 in Eugene, and uh, she works at Homes for Good, which is a public... Gosh, I don't even know that much about it. I just know you guys do Homes for Good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, every county has a public housing authority. That's what we are for Lane County. Mm -hmm. Every county has a public housing authority. So we've been like... uh, We rebranded a couple of years ago, so that's why it's... We used to be HACSA, the Housing and Community Services Mm -hmm. uh, Administration of Lane County. And then um, in order to increase our ability to do public-private partnerships and increase public visibility. Um, they rebranded, and so we're homes for good now. Mm-hmm, right like, on. Portland has home forward, you know. So every county in the state of Oregon has has a public housing authority? Every county in the oh, okay. United States. In the whole country? I mean, there are some counties that are uh, conglomerated because they have smaller populations, but yes, mm. essentially every, I mean, I'm sure there's an anomaly somewhere, but mm-hmm. every... Um, incorporated county in the united states would have a housing authority that serves it i wonder if there's even places like mallier county or something in or in <sighs> eastern oregon where it's just like one person or two people are operating that there are some small housing authorities they so yeah like lynn benton county for instance is mm. a combined one okay i think Malheur has uh like maybe two counties or three counties mm. within okay. that authority yeah right on well i want to ask you off the gate out the gate or off the bat? I just mixed up idioms. <laughs> <laughs> out the gate, off the bat. Yep. Uh, what's a controversial opinion that you have about anything? Oh, boy. Um, you know, it's hard for me to necessarily know what is controversial mm. <laughs> about my opinions. Uh, because I, th- I feel like everything is going to be controversial from someone's perspective, right? Sure. So, So I guess I would say one that... Um, uh, really puzzles people about why I uh, would pursue this as somebody with a, a background in economics is like the the <clears throat> um, removal of growth, mm. <laughs> economic growth as a primary functioning principle of like what we do mm. um, to you know produce to provide goods and services um, to function as a society. I would one. say that's very controversial because there are a lot of people who are caught up squarely in the idea that GDP equals the well-being of society. And <laughs> I don't know how you could be at this point. But. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, people uh, have been doing a pretty good job, hopefully, of bringing to light that, like, you know, we can measure happiness in more direct ways, you know, yeah. gross national happiness. <laughs> but... um it is. It is true. I, when I was in uh, junior in high school, we had IB film studies, and we watched this documentary I loved called "The Age of Stupid," um, and it's it's a climate documentary, and uh, it stars Pete Postlethwaite, and he uh, is basically like even like fifty or sixty years into the future, looking back on our this all this archival footage of demonstrating why people really knew and had no excuse for not acting on climate change but they just kept doing the things that they were doing and when i say that i I tend to not mean individuals and poor people making decisions about like 
you know, transportation and things like that. It's it's more about large entities, governments and corporations not doing anything real to to I mean because it 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 does there is a tension sometimes between economic growth uh and um you know cl- uh, climate policy when you've got companies that that are advocating really hard to be able to pollute as much as they want. Sure, sure. So like um you know we there's every space or every nation, every country, every state kind of goes through these different periods of economic development, right? Mm-hmm. So we have this for lack of a better term, would be a primitive stage of economic functioning or, um, but that's like a really unpopular, not unpopular, but it's a really uh, inappropriate term. It's not accurate. It's like a more traditional stage of economic development, you know, Mm. living off the land, agrarianism and or like uh, being a hunter gatherer. We talk about that from being the beginning to like where we are today, which is post-industrial, you know, like uh, crypto exchange society sure. almost, and like um, <laughs> my partner always uses the word postmodern in uh-huh. the most, most postmodern of senses, people <laughs> are making money through delivering goods and services that nobody thought anybody would ever want. And we certainly do not need. Mm. Um, and so all of the different stages between there, I mean, there is a like level of functioning and economies of scale that you kind of reach. And then you would, naturally assumptively presumptively transition into the next um stage of of function but what we've done with american industrial capitalism is like we we accelerated really quickly um and it's just western industrial capitalism in general sure uh we had a quick acceleration um after the initial industrial period started we moved and then we moved into an imperial industrial system and uh, and hyper growth, right? And, sure. and that's something that you can just anticipate when you have so many people working together for, you know, to pres- to create something, which is you know, in the, a short history of what the United States is and and the Western Western Hemisphere, Western civilization uh, is like uh, we did that. But when you think about the scale over time, <laughs> right? Um, you know. Uh, there's something in there where we missed a, like we missed a mark where it's like, well, okay, we've reached this economies of scale. Now we should move on to the next level of production mm. or the next level of economic uh, development and, and, and delivery of goods and services. And what we've done is we've continued to find ways to perpetuate what is, I think like a less um, fruitful way of using the goods and resources that we have left in a post-industrial era and clinging to that so that people who um, are invested in that, people who own that formation of our, of our uh, economic model uh, can continue to extract profits until the very end. Mm. Um, and, and the very end, unfortunately for them, is you know, or for us, is when they ostensibly use the last of the useful resources and then finally move on to the next stage, which would be more environmentally um, stable or sustainable, right? I don't know. Sure. I could go on and on and on. And that's the point. It's a podcast. So oh I'm, my God. I'm happy that you are. <laughs> um, but it does remind me of a quote from that documentary that touched my heart so much. And it was, capitalism promotes an ever-expanding growth on one not-expanding planet. Yeah, we live on a finite sphere. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, one thing that AOC in Congress talks about, too, is that, um, so, 
it's expensive to invest in some of the Green New Deal policies she promotes that that I think would be would actually meet the scale of the climate crisis with mm-hmm. some policy that would actually make a big enough dent. Right. Um, but it's it's arguably more expensive to not do those things. It's just you're kicking the can down the road, and right. you you know you know. So um, it it is true that we are going to reach a finite point and recognize that, that our resources are finite. And so it just doesn't make any sense. Even if you are a more conservative person, I mean, you want to, you know, conserve what we have in this planet. That's that we're able to. Yeah. um, And keep up the prevailing status quo too. Sure. Right. Yeah. You can't do that if everything comes crashing down. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Gosh. (laughs) So, I don't know. I mean, I think that I think that I we in thinking about what economic system that I appreciate the most, we are so bifurcated into you're either a capitalist or you're a socialist Marxist. Um, and what do you think about that? I mean, I mean, hmm. because there is such demonization that comes with either one of those things, if you de- kind of depending on where you live and who you inter- interact with in this country. Well, so here comes unpopular and controversial opinion number two, like <laughs> white settler colonialism western hegemony controls the delivery of those sorts of ideas and concepts sure but we know that by uh focusing in that narrow sort of myopic through that myopic lens of um the way society functions the way um we we produce the way we uh, distribute goods and services um even the moralistic function of society we are missing out on so many other potential or or existing, um, uh, you know, models and and layers of function and and ways of organization or of organizing. Mm. Um, that was actually like my my primary focus uh, in studies and economics. You know, I didn't finish my master's because cool. I, mean, I, I didn't finish my master's either. <laughs> Yeah, air high five. Yay! <laughs> I might though at some point. We'll see. Uh Mine was going to be in education, and um, I was really, really stressed out. I was having some serious mental health challenges uh, uh, living in New York City and having it be so different than here. And had a professor who was like a transphobic bully, and it was weird. Oh, and, no. Yeah, it was like... Uh, Call that motherfucker out. Who was it? Uh, well, her name was Christine Barron. And oh. um, not only was that the case, but uh, I was able to go and get a Title IX complaint, and the, the school uh, ruled in my favor and was like, yeah, we need to we need to make this person go through sensitivity courses and, <laughs> and uh, you know, apologize to you. Etc. And then they were made the interim chair of my program. So they, they were like punished within that process and then promoted within a more effectual process. <clears throat> so that was Columbia University for you. Don't you love the ivory tower? Damn, I really wanted to go to Columbia at one mm. point. Mm. Yeah, there are a lot of cool people who have gone there. Um, but Boy, it was real different than my undergrad. My undergrad was a small liberal arts college in uh, Carleton College in Northfield, Minnesota. Oh, yeah. So forty-five minutes out of the Twin Cities, which uh, Twin Cities right now is experiencing a ton of unrest, but also a lot of inspiring and really just like human um, moments on uh, in the in the community. Where I don't know, it's 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 been a real challenge to be distant from it. One of the things that I think we're not getting uh, from our, our general, I don't know, mainstream media, corporate media, um, summaries of what's happening is how much of a food desert it is inside the cities. Oh, in there. Minneapolis? Yeah. Paul? Yeah. I mean, that was like, uh, so if you look at food studies or like food, uh, 
security studies. Um, and this all feeds into the thought that I didn't finish. So I'll try to like roll all that in together. Uh, no worries. So, um, yeah, the urban centers, I, I like use air quotes a lot because I'm just like, I don't know, urban is the word everybody understands, but sure. places where there's lots of people of color living in concentrated numbers are considered urban. In sure. those places, the infrastructure that is put in uh, put in place is bare minimum sure. um, in order to sustain a place to, you know, house people who were, you know, who are de facto not considered going to be like um, the not not going to be like the most beneficial the the best labor to exploit mm. so it's like here's some labor to exploit but actually it's not the labor we want sure um so we don't actually care if that labor force or that set of of the population has the resources they need to live a good life in their neighborhood mm. we want them to have to go out of those communities to be able to to purchase the things that they need to get groceries and 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 having a food desert uh in a very high concentrated population um, creates a level of like multiple layers of animosity of course. You know, and competition um, and a constraint on resources that uh, that pushes people into in uh, many people into a mode of desperation. Mm. Um, that's not to say that uh, there's going to be inherently problems within those communities where there are food deserts. But I have to say that like I benefited from always being able to have a good meal mm. and never having to question that. I didn't ever have to think about taking like two buses or, sure. uh, you know, drive a car somewhere or probably, you know, to get my groceries. Like I could always walk and get the food that I need for my family. And that's still the case today. Good. So imagine being in that position where your people stacked on people stacked on people yep. and everything is concrete around you because that was the cheapest way to put uh, housing blocks in place and then they didn't even consider how you were going to get your food and mm. you have nowhere to grow food mm. and you know you don't have parking and you don't have a car and, and so like yeah it's a t it's sure. it's a tinderbox right and like, so when I was in New York, you know, they wanted to raise the price for the MTA again, the subway. And it's like, mm. that is so essential for people to get, you know, cheap, cheap food to be able to go over to the Dollar Tree or to the Costco, which I went to in East Harlem when I was living uh, kind of out, right outside West Harlem. Um, and uh, gosh, it's so true, though, what you said about the infrastructure being so bare minimum. Um, and that's so when, one of the things that's happening in our dialogue where, um, you know, for once again, for what will probably be a brief period of time, um, people of color and black and indigenous people, predominantly black people today are actually able to have um, like it's a news story, like what's going on in their communities, like it's in like it's in uh, mainstream news. Um, but a lot of the like comments you see on social media and stuff are just like, gosh, oh, all lives matter. We need to move beyond race. Like, why is this so divis divisive and stuff? And it's like, it's such a Jedi mind trick that the that the status quo is played to be able to to try to warp that rhetoric uh, in, in order to make it sound that way. Because the reality is that we can't solve the specific issues that are going on in these communities if we erase that if we just if we just try to address like oh everything's equal and and let's just like move forward like together and uh like 
we we will we will get to a place together where it benefits everybody if the communities that have been systematically oppressed are actually brought to some kind of a decent living condition. Well, so. so <sighs> So I'm, I'm oriented in a way like I want to like attack, like attack almost. Um, sure. It's just it's not because I don't agree with you. I think like ultimately we agree on on everything, but it's just like you can disagree the approach hardcore. to language. You know the idea like this is my my criticism of white settler colonialism. Okay. It's my criticism of white supremacy culture in general is that it fails to uh, like adequately articulate um, the the material constructs the conditions that brought us to the place where we are today okay um so like not having those ideas stripping culture from people in order for them to achieve whiteness for them to assimilate and then that assimilation is the measure of success right mm -hmm. so if you're white passing in this country you mm -hmm. know maybe you were irish and you got here or something i'm pretty white passing i know about it you know <laughs> and and like if you're white passing then no matter what your people's collectively and individually immigration story is, if they were white passing, then there is an option for them to achieve a level of like ethnic neutrality that could potentially uh, allow them to access, you know, uh, more power, more, have more respect, sure. um, not be criminalized, not be targeted. But if you are black, if you have dark skin, sure. brown skin, red skin, black skin, uh, in this country, you are arriving or you are existing or you were born into a place where it, uh, the entire foundation of the society, of the civilization that uh, the civilization that was founded there is based off of theft, exploitation, murder, slavery um, and and ostensibly to uh, attempts permanent. Well, uh, a propensity and um, a necessity for to expand profit margins and 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 wealth accumulation for um, the people who own the means of production mm. to squeeze labor from the beginning and to perpetually uh, and then and then squeeze labor at the end mm. uh, and and when I say the end is because I believe it is also we're in a period of late capitalism but going back to your question mm. um, you well, know. I appreciate what you said about people who are white passing because, like, the media, like, commercials, like, they're so, they love racially ambiguous looking people. They really do. They uh, <laughs> well, I, you know, it's one of my, it's like, well, we want visibility for black people. And it's one of my pet peeves. It's like, well, we don't see black bodies in the media. And the first thing that they did, uh, or the first thing that the media at large, producers at large started to do was figure out a way to market to us with our black bodies. Okay. So it wasn't. Um, you know, like the, the visibility, the representation, all of the things that we, um, you know, have been fighting for and accomplishing, like that message is always watered down through this lens of like, how can we exploit the transaction here to make sure that it's valuable enough for somebody to do it, mm. you know? And, and so like that just goes all the way back to the very beginning of when they first brought slaves over to the Western hemisphere when, you know, when they, um, from Africa and and realize, oh, wait, this is a different situation. We are, uh, we're here now. You know, there's been slavery forever. But by the way, there is a clear visual distinction between the people who have all the power and the people who have none. And we can exploit that 
place, that space that of difference that has, you know, in general, not existed, especially not on a large scale prior to that for the for humanity to say, hey, now that we're here, uh, actually, by the way, you're not just here to do labor for us. Mm. You're also a, not a human being. You're lesser than a human being. Right. That shit is what this country was founded on. Right. I mean, when when colonial, when settlers got here from England, you know, before the transatlantic slave trade, mm. they uh, they made well. If you just read like 1491, you, you read compared to like uh, later Columbus, uh, his journals and people, uh, the Jesuits. Uh, there was this question as to whether or not the people who were here. Mm. were actually human. Right. And and so like that dehumanization factor, that founding principle, and then the idea that if we can dehumanize people, then we can exploit them and we can exploit them for our understanding um, and also exploit them for our benefit and our purposes. And we can exploit them to accumulate wealth. Yeah. And oh, uh, their values are different than mine. I'm going to use my values, mm. uh, assert my values, which are ostensibly more violent uh, when uh, against a set of people or people who do not understand what I mean when I talk about ownership. Right. Um, you know, what is permanence? Where are we going? Sure. So, uh, so yeah. So like, well, uh, honestly, one of my favorite early, like, uh, 1400s, uh, I guess proto woke Bay white allies was a guy named Bartolome de las Casas. Oh yeah. And, uh, he wrote the book, a brief, a, a brief account of the destruction of the Indies. Mm -hmm. And it was basically, he was like, Hey, I'm a religious person and I'm here uh, with the general genocidalist. He didn't use that word. Chris Columbus, who, uh, <laughs> Christoforo <laughs> Colombo, sure. the Italian Spaniard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, uh, he basically was like, God is going to, come down on our asses for what we're doing to these human beings. Right. So he was scared as hell about that. He, he lost hell asleep over it. Uh, and so <laughs> as you know, he should have. there's that there's also, um, when you speed forward to the late 1700s, um, you know, I recently learned that John Adams didn't enslave people. So, um, the idea that like, Oh, like, you know what? All those people back then, those wealthy, which, uh, property owning white man, men, they just were all slave owners. And you, you just got to judge it within that context and say that like, you know, the other things they did were still good, but you know, you can't blame them for that. They needed that to have power. It's like, that's not historically true. Like people were making conscious, like decisions about humanity that <laughs> like, that, you know, well, also. I mean, it was like a scientific right, like the age of enlightenment only enlightened them enough to where they could, you know, be satisfied that they <laughs> had the most information uh, mm. and and the best information. Self-serving. Yes. Uh, but I feel like I lost the the like this thread that you, you tapped on that I just mm. really want to get to, which nope. is like we got lots we of threads. as like we as America mm -hmm. cannot fix the problem of black people being um marginalized subjugated murdered exploited killed um you know psychologically traumatized perpetually through generations if we don't 
talk about where we came from. Sure. If we don't talk about how we got here, if we don't talk about call out the people and the, the constructs and the principles and like the a scientific shit, the whole schools of thoughts, academia, everything like that, that got us to this point. So it's more succinctly. I like to say we, if we don't deal with our shit, then we're going to be living in it and it's going to pile up around us and suffocate us. Right. And that's where we are right now. Um, and we've been here for a long time. Mm-hmm. But the other issue is us fixing things like saying, well, I, I, to simplify this, people criticize Black Lives Matter because they don't know what they want. Mm. They are they are destructive <laughs> or they a, are just indignant or they are, um, you know, ca- they don't they haven't been hazed enough yet President by of the society. United States glorified the hell out of the, the reopen America people who are screaming in the faces of, of uh, cops with guns and stuff but anybody advocating for black lives even peacefully is a thug right and that's the president that's rhetoric coming out of the president of the United States right. office and the rhetoric is always fucking bad for lack of a better term like it's just uh, because people don't understand language they don't understand what it means it's like well they don't know what they want and we can't fix it no we are all we we're together Mm. right you're making us they and that's the fucking problem Mm -hmm. right it's like well they haven't achieved this uh an acceptable level of my of my respect to societal status yet in order for me to pay attention and try to do something and honestly like just talking about today, talking about right now, talking about what I see in the streets here in Eugene and then what I observe across the United States, like we're at a tipping point. Mm. Um, and I think my millennial generation... Yeah, we've had seven days in a row of like marching in the streets here in Eugene. I think there's a critical mass of white people who are willing to reconcile with the shit because they're tired of having to deal with this cyclical crap of sure. like over and over again. This is why we get incrementalism, right? Yeah. And so it's like, well, we us responding and solving the demands of the Black Lives Matter protesters is going to give us some incremental bullshit. Mm. It's not going to like provide us with the fundamental, what I believe is necessary, cultural reimagination of this whole society. Mm. Because when we talk about where we were founded, when we talk about how that, uh, what the implications are for, for our bodies, for our families, for our opportunities, for, um, you know, for everything that, that surrounds us together. Like we have this very limited notion of what good is, what success is, what's possible, um, what, what our best practices, what should we have done? Where should we be going? And, We've been going in a direction steered by people who are, uh, you know, whether consciously, subconsciously, um, or just by design, like de facto under this idea, under this, um, operating under this notion of, and, and practice of exploitation, Mm. you know, uh, even in the most minuscule sense, like I'm not going to do something unless I get an additional gain out of it, you know, and, uh, that or or extra consideration in the contract what motivates me one of my favorite examples and this is uh it's tangential to black lives of course because we're all together and we're all tangential we're in a sphere it's finite we're not going nowhere (laughs) we don't have spaceships that are gonna take us out and if we did my black ass ain't getting on (laughs) one you know i mean if you do something you know what i mean like and if i do get on one it's because i'm gonna serve somebody right (laughs) um holy moly so so 
the one one of the because uh, I work in housing, right? And mm-hmm. so one of my primary criticisms of the the whole way that we approach um, dealing with the housing crisis, dealing with the fact that we have, uh, you know, well we're we're coming to terms with the fact that of of uh, enclosure is that the justification for housing people um, without any uh, and not trying to be gatekeepers to housing people mm. and just trying to make sure, you know, initiatives and, and efforts on a state and, and functional governmental level to make sure that there's housing for everyone. Housing first. Right. Sure. The justifying principle that tipped us over the edge of that or the, the finding was that it is cheaper to house somebody than it is to keep them homeless on the street. It's about, mm. it's like anywhere from twenty to $50,000 a year less expensive because of the utilization of public services. The financial motive comes in yes. and supersedes. Money talks. All the transaction costs. Like, who the fuck needed to wait until, you know, people, until we figured out that it was, like, costing us too much money to justify making sure that people had a basic necessity of life, which is shelter. Sure. You know, so, so, you know, there's just, we have a whole lot of shit to deal with. And so I guess that just brings me to like back to every point that I always try to make, like it's too late for this system. You know, Mm -hmm. um, that is not what Black Lives Matter protests are asking for. That is not the, the main, like what, what we're, what we're trying to assert. We're, we're basically saying, please don't kill us. Sure. Please stop killing us. Well, we were saying that five years ago. Please stop killing us. Sure. We were saying that 30 years years ago, ago, 40 years ago, Mm -hmm. 400 years ago. We're still saying that now. And now, um, you know, people are like, oh, it's it's boiling over. You know, this is a this is um, what? Oh, I I hate cliche terms because I always forget them. And then (laughs) um, (laughs) and then I just sound like inarticulate. Right. But, oh, it's a. Boy. Tipping point, boiling Tipping point. point, boiling point, all of those things, and and the reason is, it's like, who the fuck can has time to ask anymore? Nobody has time for that shit. <laughs> like, we literally don't have time. Like, we might die, and you'll take our time away from us. And and all humans want the same thing. You know, sure. we all need the same things: food, shelter, sure. water, clean water. Yeah. Right. And we all We're want all looking the same for things. escape from some of this, from many of the same things too. Right. We all know? want the same things: dignity. Sure. Um, you know, a sense of achievement, sense of community, um, happiness, togetherness. A, yes, community, togetherness, security, and safety for our children, for our families, for our communities, for ourselves. Um, you know, and and joy. We all want to have enjoyment. We all mm-hmm. want to, and and I. It would be overgeneralization to say we all want to have love because a lot of people. <laughs> decidedly they don't want love yeah and they're Some the haters misandrous they're the fucking fascists <laughs> you know the people who don't want love are fucking fascists uh-huh. and and that's they're pretty easy to identify um and what uh, i'm looking for I'm, the hatred of people just oh, i don't remember uh, miss, uh, miss, miss oh i don't think it's misandrous because it's mis- uh, misanthropic misanthropic yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny because I call my partner that all the time. He's not. He, he actually studied anthropology. Oh, okay. <laughs> he just nice. has a very because um, hey, that'll get you there if you study the the if you study the things that you really need to learn. It's just like oh my god, people in large groups with bad leadership. They're doomed to fail. Well, and then just a shitty lens of analysis, right? Right, right. Like, gosh, we have so much misinformation about the way people are and the way people were and what we understand about humanity. Because we had, like, you know, um, really 
stupid for lack of like <laughs> they could have been less stupid mm. <laughs> uh, but really like uh intellectual but uh a historic a scientific people making observations you know through a lens that um is is based on their positionality and, and that sure. still happens today sure. the media for instance saying oh these protesters they like why isn't the media saying like we as a society have <laughs> this issue sure. you know like oh, that's yeah. the language of they oh that yeah puts the pushes the responsibility off to somebody else it is everybody's fucking responsibility okay mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. to make sure that you're not racist and that your family isn't racist and that your boss isn't racist that you're anti-racist and that you're and that yep. you're anti-racist. Sure. You know, that you, and and we can't be not racist until we go through a period of being anti-racist. Just of like course. we can't um, be, uh, you know, wealthy until we go through a period of industrial production. It's sure. just like, so, and those are all revolutions, right? So right. I feel, and this is something, it's not I don't feel, like, this is my primary orientation is like, Dude, we can't do anything without revolution. Like, this is a revolutionary change in society. And people mm. are like, oh, God, what does that mean? You know? <laughs> yeah. And it's not guns, germs, and steel, man. Yeah. I mean. Jared Diamond. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, he, that is through the fucking positionality and lens of, like, white, Western, sure. colonial, or settler sure. colonial culture, right? I think it's probably more like, uh, phones, mutual aid, and marches. That's, well, <laughs> fo- you know. Communication, yep. right? Uh, mutual aid, commonality over difference. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, community care. So not just mutual aid, like we're going to help each other when we need it. Sure. But just an overarching feeling of community care and, and an understanding of that. That's a cultural thing. That doesn't come from government policy. Sure. So... So there's a recon- like a reconciliation that has to happen. Like mm-hmm. we can't policy ourselves out of uh, <laughs> white settler colonial racism and white supremacy. We're gonna have to deal with our own shit, people. Sure. Um, so, well, so, I yeah. think that's a great point because um, if we really want to bring everybody into the conversations about making a better tomorrow, right? Which sounds like really corny, but I mean it. You know, <laughs> like building a future that's really meaningfully better than the one we live in today. Um, you know, one of the things I try to do, and I don't think I've done it enough, is I haven't had enough conservatives on the show, but I will. Uh, and Dylan Hudson was a really great conservative guest for anyone who wants to hear me speak to somebody who is more right-leaning. I would say that um, a lot of people get to, um, like, you know, voting staunchly Republican and voting uh, for conservative principles because they just deeply distrust that the government can do anything right. Um, and so, and there's a, re- I mean, that's a good, that's a good logic. I know people who yeah, distrust so the government so much people? that they're like, fuck the government at all, at all costs. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's a good reason to feel that way. How do you reach people who think that, um, by, by adhering to conservative principles and voting Republican, that they're somehow going to, um, like protect us from the failures of government, uh, well, first of all, fuck the dualism. Two sure. wings, same bird, right? And all, <laughs> yep. and, and, all, and those birds are shitting all over some us. Some of the local Democrats know? are not a big fan of me because I call out some of their racism, frankly, that exists. There's a guy, uh, gosh, I'm not going to use his name because I do want to patch things up with him because I think he's, his head's in a good place. But he's racist as fuck, and he tries to, he, he like tried to tell me how to run my campaign because he's helped Senator Merkley before and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like he didn't, he didn't think that I was doing 
good job because I was like, you know, speaking too divisively about like racial justice. Basically, but basically, I don't want to misconstrue. We're, but it was like, yeah. you need me, man, to come in and say, you know, you need to communicate in this way. Your website needs to be like this, and basically telling me I don't run my campaign. And you wouldn't believe how much I respectfully, because so much of the time for people of color, it's like we have to like fall on our own sword in order to like try to like instead of just saying hey man you're being racist right now like which is a legitimate thing that that people who are doing racist behaviors need to need to hear mm-hmm. frankly but you know it's going to set people off especially this person who's like powerful within the local democratic party and so he like is so that would be the end of the world for him to even agree uh, with a person of color who says that they did something racist so i so my message to him was that conversation we had to me felt very mildly racist which is like me tapering it way too much yeah but uh then he just exploded on me like clearly you can't take criticism and you like i thought that i was just gonna try to help you and now you don't want my help so bye and then he blocked me don't play so- the race card <laughs> And that's like it's also a misrepresentation of what I was doing because yeah. I was I was telling him that that was a very mildly racist conversation, uh, and I had no way did I say I don't want your help. I b- probably could have used his help. It's like microaggressive. But, but his, he took that as like, oh, okay, fine. Like it's you know because he just can't deal with being attached with that idea. He can't honestly face that that was ha- what was happening. Yeah. And uh, my from my point, yeah, dude, I don't want the help of somebody who's going to. Try to trample on the messages of people of color uh, for the in this for the sake of like electoral politics. So I could have used your help, but only if you're willing to be an adult and actually be like, yeah, I own that. I own that my tone was not cool. I own that I pulled you aside when you were trying to like speak out for your message and uh, tried to basically sanitize and whitewash it for for this like electoral audience. Tone policing people of color, uh, especially like highly educated. Uh, uh, career like career focused career oriented people of color mm. is one of the main um tools that you know oppressive society and and white patriarchal western capitalist hegemony uses to uh to separate us from our what should be like our mission of of a sustainable world where yeah. we are all uh, able to live freely. The right? number one accomplishment <laughs> that our mayor points to for talking about diversity and talking about inclusion is we've got this kindness campaign. We're a city of kindness, spreading kindness. And it's just like, you're not listening to the people who are basically telling you that was not the time for you to tell Eugene, which is already has arguably too much kindness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, fuck politeness. <laughs> exactly. That that's the way forward for oppressed groups is let's all be more kind. Yeah. It's like, it's so it's like what you were, what you were getting at. And I, I, what you, you know, essentially articulated to me is like, it's always pressed upon people of color to move our barometer of acceptability to meet sure. people who are, um, okay with the current state of oppression okay with the the status quo enough that you know they want it to be comfortable enough for their lifetime and they're scared of what or that not even considering like what potential other options or what potential possibilities are out there because from their position where they're sitting they don't have a stake in the game of shit changing right right? or not as big of a stake but i'm here to let them know and this is uh you know this is part of my fuck politeness thing is like (laughs) actually you're fucking your kids up you know, sure. like you're you are 
um, leaving them in a position worse than, you know, you, if you are a person who is okay with the status quo, okay with making people of color or trying to make people of color assimilate to your mean of normal normality, like, or, uh, or acceptability, then you are fucking up the potential options and the, and the possibilities of the future for your kids or for your grandkids just so that you can stay comfortable and not have to deal with your shit for whatever time you have left on this mortal coil. Mm. And unfortunately, some of those people are like our age. You know what I mean? I'm, sure. not, I'm not trying to call out boomers here because uh, <laughs> it's like... I don't know. I have a lot of old older folks who are my friends. There's a lot of people in that generation who are very sick of the bullshit and and are and have like been fighting some of the their best allies lives, right? here in Eugene, here across the country. Have been fighting their whole lives. Mm-hmm. Many talk- of them have been in the military and they're like, dude, you. I know that you're learning about how fucked up the system is, but mm-hmm. if you're actually there with your boots on the ground, you will see yeah. how fucked up it is. Like I have a friend who's a boomer who votes Republican, right? I have a few of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this person, this motherfucker has like always showed up for me if I ever needed it, is like really a good friend, is very respectful to me, but we disagree fundamentally on the approach to how we get there, right? Sure. And he thinks that, you know, well, it's funny, the assumption that I voted Democrat was like one of the things that we actually like one of the conversations, our first conversations, and I just checked him right there. I said, hey, just don't assume that I'm just going to vote for the Democratic Party sure. because I'm black and that's what they tell you, uh, you know, black people do, um, first of all. But also, like, you think that voting for more of the same or what you think is like hyper conservatism reaching back uh, for a period of time when um, when growth was inherent, all that shit is going to preserve some like level of stability for us. But actually, it's going to produce instability because the more you go in one direction without um, you know, multiple entry points and avenues for uh, converting your production or converting your uh, your whatever uh crap i lost my train (laughs) anyways so so like no matter how much you think that voting for uh one party or the other is going to preserve or um maintain a status quo that this country is the richest country in the world and that this country um has the most resources and we have the most choice like what you're doing is you're perpetuating a cycle that is bound to fail because it's an exploitative one and as we talked about and we've mentioned several times it's a finite sphere and so the only thing that isn't finite is the people, right? So are we putting the people through a grinder now? Like, is mm. are we going to mine the people now? You know, <laughs> that's that's the inevitable next, uh, you know, amalgamation of sure. how we achieve economic growth. Like, we can't do it. We're at the end of it. Well, can I talk about parties for a second? Because, sure, go ahead. Um, what I like, try to do is encourage turn people up to... Turn parties? Because <laughs> that's what I like. No. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> no. Oh, the revolution will be on the dance floor, too. It'll be uh, fun. Yes, absolutely. Um, but political parties is what I was thinking about because... You're so right. And one of the things that sadly in the system where to be involved and make a governmental change here in town, you basically have to be a part of, uh, you know, 
I don't want to diss the Democrats too much, but God, I got to do it sometimes, you know, because um, I love the people who I've met through that. And I love a lot of people. I love a lot of our elected officials who are staunchly within the Democratic Party. And um, but my point is that vote blue no matter who promotes not promotes non thinking. I want people to do much more thinking. So if you can, if you, if you say, you know, thoroughly research the candidates and here is a lot of information about every goddamn one of them, Mm -hmm. then yeah, then if, if it's the case that it's all in partisan elections, somebody who is very progressive is probably going to end up voting for the Democrat every time anyway. Like, like, I mean, there are going to be cases where they have an issue where they really disagree with a person or they just like strongly think that this person is like a fake ally or something. And that's that's a real thing. But um, if you just do it based on the D or the R next to their name, that is I mean, it's just like barely a step of not not voting for me in terms of participating in democracy well there's about concentrations of power under under wealth right the d and the r are like these massive uh organizations these massive entities it's coke and pepsi it's a fake uh conflict for money like they they benefit off of each other saying like they'll distract from what their own uh corruption is you know and their own insider deals and you know diane feinstein and and uh, nancy pelosi on the democratic party just enriching themselves and doing doing you know all these stock trades based on the information they gleaned as congressmen and congresspeople um like fucking over the people basically um by just demonize the other side even harder look fuck the democrats and fuck the republicans the democrats are, are okay with making um you know concessions with uh with compromising with republicans people talk about bipartisan with republicans when even when it means people are gonna die mm. you know so like i'm not trying to claim that i have some moral authority i also do stupid shit in my life but sure. i sure as hell don't want to kill anyone and i'm not gonna do <laughs> anything that's gonna push the ball forward on that happening and especially not like on a large scale so in order to get like gain legitimacy in this political system that you know you have to you don't have to but uh you know you should be one of the one member of the one of the two parties right like this guy mm. who you said was mildly who you approached as mildly <laughs> racist just sounds like microaggressive fucking mm-hmm. inability to reconcile with his own shit opinions sure. but uh <laughs> like uh so you know to gain that legitimacy well both of those are parties that operated all out war and murdered thousands of innocent and guilty people like i'm just not about killing people man right you know like right. <laughs> uh and and so like i i have a hard time um even considering you know a democrat a mm. lot of times and 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 i you know I've, there's been moments where i've been moved to vote that way right. for some reason or another. But in general, I don't trust the politicians <laughs> and, 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 like at all. And, and I say that as somebody who ran a political campaign. Sure. And, and, um, but I did it because I wanted to... You didn't spend any money, did you? Zero dollars. Zero, like literally zero. For me, yeah. it was less than 700. So that's still nothing. And it's a drop in the bucket, but it's still way more than you. I had almost, fi- I had almost 500 votes in my neighborhood, which is You had more than 500 league. votes on the final tally. Oh, really? I, I haven't yeah, even been paying attention. Over. You got Be- 7.56% and I believe it was 506 votes. Oh, shit, man. In the most crowded city council race, Ward 1, uh, in, in uh, recent history. For I sure. came in, what, fourth? Yeah. 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 
That's not too bad. Yeah. I didn't do any door knocking. I didn't mm-hmm. do any signs. Did I mean, you know, we couldn't, but yeah. I, I entered at the last possible minute. And yeah. and the point of it, of doing so was that I know that I'm not going to win, but let's start talking about the things that like actually will impact us more um like over time in a more impactful way. You know, I want people to consider cultural reimagination. Mm. I want them to consider that it's not a post-revolutionary society, that we have a responsibility um, to the people who were here, that this land was stolen from, that we have a responsibility to the people who are here and to the people who are going to be here for seven generations or for however long. I think we have a responsibility to to Gianna Floyd, the, the daughter of George Floyd. Uh, like We've had literally, a literally, she is there. She wants to be a doctor, okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, Kanye West actually has come around and done a lot of really powerful things recently that I noticed. And uh, I believe he set up like uh, fun for for her to just straight up have you know all of her college fund paid for. And that's like I'm I'm not trying to like take from because uh, you have a lot of big broad ideas that are really powerful and important. But I'm also trying to just say like specifically that person we have a responsibility to. Yeah, like, we have actions. We have actions that we can take to uh, to fulfill our responsibilities to each other on a really um, micro scale. You and I, yep. you showed up on time. I was, of course, a little bit late. Hey, as PCT. I am, we're both. I was a little bit late too, dude. I grew up in a Japanese household, like you know. We talked about that commonality. Yeah. I felt so bad for being. I late. see koi fish on your leg. Yeah, people like, who are who are listening instead of watching on YouTube. Sorry. Beautiful koi fish, you're missing out on it. Yeah, don't look at my toes though, man, because I don't take (laughs) care of that shit at all. Like, I'm a black mama. I work my ass off. I got four kids. I don't got time. I mean, I'm not saying that we all don't, but like me personally, I got a lot of (laughs) shit going on. I don't have time to sit down and have nobody fuck with my toes. So I'll probably pay. I'll probably pay for that someday later in my life. But uh, um, for me, if anybody wants to buy me a pedicure and and do some of my work for about the hour that it takes uh, to get that done, (laughs) I'll go get a pedicure. Otherwise, don't talk shit on my toes. Uh, <laughs> but I digress. So you know, I grew up in this like Japanese household, right on, um, with this like uh, with here that in, cultural uh, or here in Oregon or black Japanese household. No, I grew. I mostly grew up in Kansas, but I'm an Air Force brat. And nice. I, uh, did um, you know? We did some, of course, traveling around when you're with the military. One of the biggest but, yeah. ways I made my campaign look like a joke inadvertently was I was telling people like, "Yo, first of all." It doesn't make sense to have the capital and the, uh, where all three of our branches of government are located way over the fuck on the East Coast, yeah. where that used to be the population center. Now it's not the population center. <laughs> so we should have the at least the Congress. I'm not saying move the White House. I'm not saying move the Supreme Court. But Congress, where the representatives all go to and physically congregate at to make these decisions, should be in the center of the contiguous U.S., which is Kansas. And that. <laughs> so I was telling people we got to move Congress to Kansas. That was when I was thinking about running for Congress, but then, then I, I kind of eased off of that. Cause, I mean, because I was trying to be a little more practical. I like the difference between our approaches because you really um, were upfront about the fact that you you knew you weren't going to win, mm-hmm. and uh, but you had messages to bring through the process mm-hmm. and to bring to the community, and you you want to keep moving that forward. For me, I was very, 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 um, you know, I knew it was very unlikely for me to win. But I was still you running. Good. I was still running as if it was a possibility to win because I believe in Eugene enough to be mm-hmm. like, "Yo, let's let's reject this." Eh, I don't, I don't want to sound sour grapes. Some people are like trying to 
get me to uh, like continue my campaign as a write-in candidate, but because uh, there's people who really want to have a write-in candidate. Yeah, but there's real work to be done. Fuck the politics. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, so like I'm oriented because like I I study a lot of revolutionary theory and and um and I try to like make everything I say as uh, accessible as possible for everybody because unfortunately our education system in this country has fucking failed us. <laughs> um, and so people don't have like a grasp of language. I just have the, happen to have the privilege of growing up in a multicultural household, having traveled all, uh, you know, in different places in the world and being exposed to different languages, the way people approach communication, that sort of stuff. So I just want it to be as accessible as possible for the b- person who got left the fuck behind, you know, um, right. or for We're people. We're the wealthiest country in the history of the world i was just listening to m5 vibe he's a local rapper who um mm-hmm. was on uh talks with tiger with my friend tiger gruber and he was talking about how when he was living for two years in germany people were telling him yeah we basically just didn't go didn't pay to go to college we got our college education free he thought they were joking no it's real no it's totally doable it's real my friend uh her son has dual citizenship she's a german citizen nice and he went to school here or he's graduating this year and he's going to college in germany right for free right you know, um, and that's and one of I the tricks of American exceptionalism. <laughs> it's got us so convinced based on like red and blue iconography and eagles that <laughs> we are just the best. And we are not the best simply because we are just the best. Like, you, you got to qualify that statement. Yeah. You give me, <laughs> what the fuck is the best? Where's our healthcare system and our education system that is actually making us the best? Well, yeah. See, so those things don't have the economic motivation. That's coming from someone who loves the U.S. Of, of being like, uh, inherently profitable, right? Right. Like, uh, so, so they are left to the services sector, and this is why people don't believe the government can do anything because the government is populated by elected representatives who are what from generally one or two party this dualistic notion right. of this binary but all of them operate under the same assumption that you have to be uh in order for something to be successful or for somebody to be willing to do it there has to be some additional um consideration for them you know like if you're not getting something a little even something from nothing out of the exchange that you're doing yeah. it's, if, if if it's just um for the sake of doing it because it's necessary necessary then it's not a viable concept like mm. it's not a viable um uh, goal or something that is attainable people won't put in the effort toward that end because they're not motivated and and i just challenge that whole notion because mm. you know we're all motivated to survive yes um shit like what on the con actually like, why i love the saw films because they open that up in a really grisly way but anyway yeah <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I have issues with the cinematography in those films, but okay. Uh, you know, and a lot of other issues. The color issues. correction, they're just like, we're going to make this shot all yellow. We're going to make this shot all green. And then lots of blood splatter. I guess to sort of like, you know, round out that point is like, think about it conversely. Like, if extra consideration for everything that you do, everything that you put your labor and efforts into is the primary motivating factor for people to do shit, mm. then explain fucking wage labor. Right. Explain why people like me and you and everybody else in the working class Mm -hmm. explain why black people for even less and why people of color and women for even less than what the um, the stated mean of wage labor uh, can actually attain Mm -hmm. still do it. Why do we still engage in it then? Mm. Because we have, um, you know, as our basic fundamental biological imperative Mm. survival. Yes. 
you know, so Absolutely. like, so, uh, you know, I understand people um, caring and wanting to re to reach for a society or for, a, um, you know, uh, a situation, a sure. status quo where we're all where or well where they are existing in a space that's like dignified and post that survival like layer or notion of like the hierarchy of needs right sure where uh you know full self-realization sure um but they're Top doing the it on the backs of other people mm. because in order for you to achieve that people think that you have to be able to um extract usurp extra you know so that you can accumulate wealth which is how you get power mm. um and i say fuck all that bam <laughs> all that i'm not saying it's wrong to like want to floss and like have nice things sure. and to like look good and to have what you need a but lot of what my favorite hip-hop is about that <laughs> what is this notion that you have to have more than what you need and that that is um like that is achieve that is success that is uh that is the goal that's the motivation that's what we teach people in schools well there's not a lot of correlation between being super wealthy and being like mentally super happy you know yeah and i mean we, there's a limit <laughs> exactly absolutely there's, once you yeah. get to a certain point where you have much more than you need think you start to feel shame about that well the, I, I i'm not going to speculate on what people feel but i'm True. just saying there's like a marginal there's a marginal effectiveness and benefit of every dollar that you accumulate in wealth and after a certain point the marginal effectiveness starts to diminish and then it goes down to zero just like all profits are supposed to in the long run the reason that is is because you can't just keep perpetually um feeding uh into uh a a function a framework um that has achieved that has like a fun functionally like achieved the stated goal and is no longer like functionally necessary right mm -hmm. and i said function a lot because i'm sure. like there's functions like a mathematical function and yep. then there's functionally F like does it fucking work Right. You know, right, right, right. <laughs> um, and <laughs> on both of those fronts, like the perpetual, um, uh, you know, continuation of something that is like obsolete until the last possible drop of profit is extracted from it is um, is something that we just don't talk about. It's something that we don't think about. So it's like going back to this idea from the initial question, which is like, what's an unpopular opinion you have? Perpetual growth. Fuck perpetual <laughs> growth. <laughs> like we're not growing our souls and spirits as humans. We're growing uh, the shit that's killing us, mm. you know? <laughs> mm. And um, and so I don't care if you're a Republican, Democrat, conservative, uh, liberal, uh, like... Libertarian, libertarian. Green, most people families. are centrists, but sure. honestly, I don't think most people are any of that. That's most why Obama people are, won. <laughs> all of he us. Biden and then went for the heartland. All of us are survivors. Mm. You know. Mm. Um, so whether you're a centrist or uh, like me, an anarcho-communist, uh, sure. <laughs> um, you know, like wow, you have anarcho-communist. Yeah, yeah. Oh, hey, by the way, Eugene, I'm. A, anarcho-communists <laughs> please don't kill me fascists <laughs> that's seriously like the the level we're on right now you know right right and, and it's been i love that like maybe unpack that a little bit because people are really convinced that communists um support like a strong central government based on they always go to like china as an example or russia and you know the you know the soviet, so, union. soviet union um but like so well, anarcho-communists just... which seems like it's a lot about people um 
uh, spreading uh, spreading wealth and opportunities and uh, taking care of their communities, but not doing it from a from a authoritarian governmental standpoint. Sure. So, like, I just, you know, it's just about the material reality that we live in, right? Mm. Um, I don't, like, I think I orient myself in communism not just from, like, this Marxist lens. I orient myself in communism as, like, an ultimate egalitarian um, way of organizing our economic functions and, and our agreements as a society, right? Yeah. And I think that the egalitarianism achieved in that comes from participation of people, yeah. right? So participatory democracy or, you know, uh, decision-making for lack of, a, like, I hate democracy. This idea was, like the rule of the majority, right? Okay. So, like, that is kind of where that anarchist sway comes from. You just from. came on my show and said you hate democracy. Yeah. That, you're okay with that? Uh, I know. It's a really unpopular <laughs> opinion. It's not that I and I hate people having the right to vote and enfranchisement. I just, mm -hmm. I think it's a shallow form of enfranchisement. Okay. I think that, oh, you know. Oh, super shallow. Yeah, I you know, That's like. Why I support a better voting situation like ranked choice voting or star voting. Yeah, I mean, dude, we. get we, scared out of voting for, for who would actually be able to pull us out of our shit. We literally have the math. Right. You know, that tells us that the way that we vote in a dualistic binary sort of scenario for one of two parties and we only get one vote. Yeah. And, and on a larger scale, we don't even get one vote per person. Mm. Like we know we have the economic research and we have the understanding through game theory and through behavioral um, research theory that that actually is a disenfranchising, um, you know, catalyst. Sure. Like uh, people feel um hopeless or they feel as if what they have to contribute if all they have to contribute is just a vote then they really don't ha like that that there's no point in doing it and then so yeah. it's it's a dampening effect on people's willing to willingness to engage with the civic society with the civilization that they live in what i talk about in participatory democracy is people actually coming together and talking about what is going on mm -hmm. and saying okay well we may not have all the answers but from where i sit this is what you know like documenting recording what it means or what people are actually like thinking, what people would like to have, where people want to go, you know, what grievances they experience, their histories, just their stories, what we can understand from like where people sit and what has happened to them in their lives and people engaging together on the layers of society and the levels of society where they exist. Right. So through your labor, through your neighborhood, through, you know, your church organizations, your other civic organizations, through sure. your um, you know, your football club that yeah. you, you know, uh, inhabit your gun club. Well, I like where you're getting because a lot of our conversation has been, um, like you're, you're a really brilliant person and you use oh, words that are like people might have to look up <laughs> and, and that's, that's great. Um, but like, um, is it? I think, <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever felt that before? Like, like people um, have like ever accused you or said that like you're like really academic in your in your. Oh Yo, God, yeah, of and it sucks because okay. I am and I know it, and like. But, but that's okay. And I the mean, person I talk to the most, especially like during this coronavirus pandemic, is uh -huh. my partner, and uh -huh. we are both social scientist oriented sure, people who sure. have had shared the last decade together. So we have this shared language. Awesome. You know, and that's like what you get at, right? Like right. A lot of 
and so I think go ahead and finish your thought. Well, there's a lot of like, um, you probably recognize some privilege in being able to get that training to be able to have that kind of a discourse. Dude, I hustled right. my ass off to get that. That so, too. Yeah. That too. Absolutely. <laughs> hustle, and, hustle and privilege. Um, but now I feel weird about being here like, yeah, you're privileged. Um, no, I am. I, right. I'll tell you what my privileges are, but go f- proceed. So, so I'm not even just saying in layman's terms, in lay people's terms, but um, let's say in the ideal world that you're talking about or mm-hmm. the ideal Eugene that you're talking about, you're walking from West Eugene, let's say West 11th, way mm-hmm. down there where, I don't know, the currently the Walmart and the Target are, and you're going to walk from there to downtown to the Lane County government building. What do you see that's different as you're doing that walk? What do you mean? Like, like the visual so, differences? So, yes, or yes. Like... If, if, if we are like 20 years from now, we have really course corrected and we've done things that, that, that build towards a, a more positive um, communitarian society. What are, you, what are you not seeing in that walk? Well, that first of all, nobody's homeless. Okay. Mm. That's the first things first. Like, goddamn. <laughs> How hard is it? Like, this is a big ass country. You know, sure. Sure. <laughs> and and we have enough space, but we everything's owned, so people don't have space, right? Right. Um, I see more relaxed people, you know, working people happier because their, um, you know, their labor, whatever le- level of labor they're doing, is not the thing that is the thing that secures their survival. Like their survival is inherent. Our, our we have a collective agreement that like we have a responsibility to make sure as to the best of our ability that we're not killing each other and that also that if somebody is suffering and 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 having a difficulty surviving that like we we help them right you know um so so that uh what do i see i i see like you know green spaces incorporated um into uh n- what was formerly not green spaces okay um because we just need to be able to clean the air and <laughs> we have a responsibility to this very um special atmosphere you know or to to maintain this very special atmospheric conditions that keep us being able to exist on this planet you know the organization 350 yeah and they're like yeah let's get let's you know 350 parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere is a pretty bad tipping point we're at 417 now so we're way past it, and we that that does not mean just throw our hands up in the air and give up. That means all hands on deck to fucking end this stuff. Dude, I got kids, man. Of I course. mean, the, everything that motivates me to do this is like I've I've always said like I don't think that the things that I want to see will happen in my lifetime, and I've I've self corrected on that more recently mm. because I believe that honestly nature prevails. <laughs> um, but it's not like but the things that I don't want to see is the people who are already vulnerable, the people who are already marginalized, at risk, suffering, struggling to do to achieve the basic um, you know necessities to survive to be in a position to be more desperate, which you know. And and then disappear because well, Killer Mike, the new album RTJ three, but also just RTJ4. like RTJ four. RTJ four. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm still. Holy so, Kalama I'm still Fuck was three. one of my favorite songs. Let's uh, start talking about music soon. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Soon. Soon. Yeah. Because I got a. I got a lot of things. Like we can talk right forever. Hell yeah. But like, so like the you know what I want to see is intergenerational communities and collaboration mm. because people don't get that anymore. You know, we're so alienated from. Um, like the land I was talking we were my partner and I were talking last night like it's a really rare thing in this country to still be tied to the land 
Mm. And what I mean by tied to the land is that you have like an ancestral home, essentially. Mm. If you're extremely wealthy, there's likely generational wealth that would be an you know, that you might say, well, it's enough generations that this is like our home, but it's not your ancestral home. Um, But, and so I'm not saying that Appalachians, poor Appalachians are, have their ancestral home in Appalachia, but it is about the damn closest thing I've ever seen Mm. to Americans, you know, uh, saying this is my home place. Like this is as far as I understand, this is where my people are, you know, um, and it's not because of like, I mean, definitely a lot of it is, but it's not like as much of a concentration because of exploitation. It's like because they got there and they just stayed there. Um, I don't want to romanticize it all because fuck the Romans too. Um, <laughs> but like, uh, <laughs> Seriously. But so ultimately, like, you know, this, that, you know, being for me, like reaching toward that intergenerational familiarity, the idea that like there is, Uh, a cultural thread that ties you to the land that lets you know that there's functional and fundamental ways of survival and being together and a responsibility as a, of a community to like formulate something that works despite um, ineffectiveness and and ineffectuality of the government that they're not interested in you or oppression from like uh, economic players and actors, you know, Mm. or the theft of the land. Like it's just like an understanding this idea that like, the way we live is something that you reach back and take from history. Sure. That's why, like, I talk about decolonization, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I talk about that not just to be, you know, for to uh, revere Native American ways of life, beliefs, mysticism, and, and you know, all of all of the all of that. Like natives, yes, absolutely. Like I'm part native somewhere. I'm talking about the cutting of our cultural threads of our ethnic of our from our ethnicity that uh, frustrates and complicates the way that we survive, you know. So thinking about cultural reimagination that way is like, you know, my people were taken from like somewhere on the coast of West Africa and brought over here to do labor. And then my other people were already here. And as far as I know, you know, we're oriented down in the Gulf Seminole. people the unconquered people Mm. just resistant right and then my other people um are from japan uh post-imperialist post-world war ii uh war marriage made you know from the u.s uh occupation of of japan Mm. brought Ah, my grandmother here kazuko Mm -hmm. you know i bet our grand where's your grandma from uh hamamatsu uh maybe osaka actually Oh, That's where she met her. Uh, so they weren't together during grandpa. the war. No, actually, I don't really know. No, sadly, I need to brush up more on that history. Our grandmas, right? Okay. I had yeah. the benefit of having her stories, mm. right? I had the benefit of like growing up, understanding that like she, during World War II she hid in Mount Fuji, you know. And wow. then I talked to a friend of mine uh, the other day who is also Japanese American, and we were talking about like just you know our grandmas and the stories, and they're like, yeah, I think during the war she was in Mount Fuji. I was like, where were they? My grandma's from Yokohama. Her grandma is from like that 
you know, like a, across the island. Uh, and so not Tokyo, <laughs> you know, so like, yeah. the, and you know, they were children at the time mm. when we were, you know, dropping the A-bombs on Japan. Mm. It's like the stories that I have, like the understanding Fuji-san of Fuji-san Mount Fuji is gorgeous. Yes. Um, actually, I was just li- listening to Bakari Sellers on Yang Speaks, a different podcast today. I listen to podcasts a lot. <laughs> and uh, he was talking about high-speed rail and just how how it's um, amazing and it warps your sense of time because of how much people can cover ground in these East Asian countries where it's well-developed and we just don't have that here. Uh, our infrastructure is falling apart in this country. And I'm just remembering when I was on the Shinkansen in Japan, mm. um, just seeing Mount Fuji out the window. And it's just every bit as beautiful as all the famous paintings and and photos show right so like that's where my people are tied to the land and like yeah. for whatever reason like i you know it was a small child when i was in japan but you know i've always felt this orientation this like this like thread that ties me to mount fuji like understanding nice. you know and and so like just that basic fundamental thing being stripped from us alienates us from part of our humanity right. like it putting our feet on the ground and and if you think about that and then all of the layers upon like where in our lives or where in our history that is happening constantly on a grass on a mass scale to all people around all the time, sure. <laughs> um, you know, and that that's the mechanism and mode of, you know, this model of ownership and the modes of production uh, that like we have a lot of fucking work to do. But mostly what we need to do is take a step back and realize who the fuck we are. You know, as humans and realize what it means to be on this fucking planet. And then, you know, when so at that point, the color of your skin, the importance of that starts to wither away Mm. Um, because it's like, no, I have a tie to the land. I understand why my skin is this color. I understand why somebody else's skin is a different color. Do you know why white people have white skin? Because they spent less time outside when when they were evolving. It's because, you know, we all come from Africa, right? The cradle and of civilization. And the, there's, there's less sun uh, farther from the equator. Yeah. So it's about vitamin D absorption. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's about how much vitamin D you actually need to have the energy that you can do to that you need to do all the things you need to do to function and survive. Mm. It's about the viability of uh, your offspring because vitamin D is very uh, important, you know, sure. in, in pregnancy. Um, and so, like... White people, Europeans, I don't know, like, I don't know what they were. They're cavemen. My partner's the anthropologist. I'm not. <laughs> um, so, like, they could, their babies were not viable. They weren't being born viably because they were living in places that were kind of like, you know, England, for instance. Okay. You know, the Nordic regions, right? So they just didn't have enough sun so their skin lightened so they could absorb more vitamin d Mm. from the sun and that um i don't remember what condition it is and i'm sure somebody can comment on here and look it up but it's like that's what made their skin because we are all descended from i think it's the khoisan people in africa yeah cradle civilization right Mm -hmm. so like and and it's funny because my partner's gonna make fun of me if he listens when he listens to this he'll be like you know (laughs) it is and i just want to like he's right over there and I just want to be like, Hey, could you remind me of what that disease is? But I'm sure it'll be a fun little research project <laughs> for somebody. So the point is that like, that's all it is. It's just a function of like how we fucking, uh, you know, absorb the sun. But so, so when people say like race is a social construct, they're right. The, the, everything about how race functions in our society is constructed 
because somebody stood to benefit from making that construct. Of course. Right. And we know who did and we don't have to go into all of that. <laughs> but the biological difference is not about like supremacy or superiority it's about the orientation of where our ancestral homes are sure and 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 the understanding it's very of phenotypical like, it's a very very exactly. like surface level stuff exactly and, and so like i would say you know tangentially or like to contextualize that where i where i think about that from is like i went to bolivia and did some Ooh. some research um some economic research for an agricultural export chamber i mean it wasn't like my ideal situation but i did mm. get a lot of insight into like what was going on there agriculturally which is really tied to everything of, of course mm. um but there you know my partner was with me at the same time and he was studying andean uh anthropology and archaeology and up in la paz and anywhere with a high altitude the womb the uterus and the and the way the amniotic sac of uh, a developing fetus for um you know of a woman's developing fetus sure. is a little like there's a there is a difference in the way that their amniotic sacs function to accommodate for the high altitude and the the way you breathe in your atmosphere so it's like our bodies are functions of nature like we can't yeah avoid that sure and so let's just get down to that base level but One of the things that makes me think of, and that I do want to ask you about music, and, mm -hmm, then, sorry, and then ask yeah. you the last question, because out of respect for both of our times, oh, yours shit, probably yeah, more than, more well, than mine. Okay. We can't escape the the nature that has evolved us to the point we're at now. So one of the things, you know, there's a, it's it's great how connected we are, and how easy it is to be to live alone and 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 be very learned mm. uh, through the internet and uh, get your food delivered to you and stuff, but. Um, historically if you were separated from the like why we experience loneliness is because if you were separated from the pack it meant you were going to die mm -hmm. so we evolved to experience that as being a threat so sometimes you just like you, you spend all day alone and you're just like wow i, I wish i had a hug right now <laughs> or like you don't realize why you're feeling this way and it tends to lead you to continue to to scroll or maybe i'm speaking from my own perspective here but like continue to go to those coping mechanisms that that um can lead you to spend a whole day without really connecting with anybody. Well, yeah, and the narrative that we live under doesn't doesn't provide us the answers uh, as to why why that is. Like you know that, and I know that. Mm. Um, but the the concept and the and the question of alienation is like not something that we talk about. Sure. And we don't talk about it because it's a Marxist identification, like. There you are know, also a lot of like of industries that are selling us the solutions to these problems, whether it's through a pill or a product. So, I mean, they don't want to talk about this. Yes. You know, just like go take a walk for like a while with your friend or with your dog. Yeah, anyway. or with uh, your grandma. Yeah, exactly. Your you grandma. Know, go Call visit them. your grandma, motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> they have stories. That shit is important. I you love know? that. <laughs> that would be a great podcast, just, just talking to grandmas about their stories. Um so if you were on a desert island and you had one album, or let's say even two or three Shit, albums. Shit, don't do that to me. I'm doing it. What? Because we got, I'm trying to condense this conversation. Suicide. Suicide. One album? An album? No. Okay. I would just kill myself. Fuck mm. it, dude. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not talented enough to, like, make music, so. Okay. Oh, you'd yeah. get there. Sorry. You'd adapt. Trigger warning. You understand Sweet. that it's a jumping off question to like for a conversation. Yeah. Right. So like what music has, has inspired, motivated, pushed you to be who you are today or do you, or do you turn to when you really need solace? 
Wow. So it just like depends on what time in my life you're talking about. But today sure. I listen to a lot of like radical hip hop. But like uh, like today, that's what I listen to. Mostly punk rock and radical hip hop. Um, Give me artists. Oh, Gene Gray and Kel Chris, man. Ooh, like, Kelly Chris. That Everything's Fine album blew oh, my mind. so great. So, and Gene Gray, she's fucking brilliant. And yes. everything, like, she, she's, like, a master wordsmith, yep. samurai ass. I don't even know. Like, what? Yep. You know, she's just a producer. She's everything, right? Like, um, and, and she's so profound, like... Oh, really think about like I think oh. Open Mike Eagle is on that album on a track or two. Uh met him he's come through Eugene a few times and done sh- shit with my friends and he's like he's hilarious on Twitter and he uh, it's been great to see him get more success with like Comedy Central and stuff. But um he's he's awesome. I, l- I really like him. Yeah, I, so I'm like, more familiar with him than being Gray and You know, Cal Chris just dropped a new album, right? Oh, shit. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it. I think it's, oh, it's such a good name, too. And I, and I feel like I should do it some respect. Uh-huh. I put, like, I like an artist and I just put their music on and I play. I don't even look at the names of the tracks. Sure. I just, like, play albums throughout because I feel like that's their vision. So, like, sure. for whatever amount of time I have. That's awesome. Um, I feel that so, way yeah, a lot too. of course, I'm listening to that new RTJ. I always listen to oh RTJ. My God, so good. That shit dropped. It is so hard. Look at all these slave masters <laughs> posing <laughs> on, on your dollars. Shit. My friend texted me and he was like, can't be a Pharrell feature without that four count intro. Doom. Uh- Doom, doom. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's true. Oh, they built these cages to keep somebody in them. You think when they're done with me, they're not going to come for you? Mm. You know, like that's that's some like <laughs> fucking. I mean, that, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, because I'm not Killer Mike or, or, or LP, but right. you know. <laughs> like, uh, so, yeah, so that's like, been really impactful. I love Death Grips. I don't, nice. You know, like that's really my shit. MC like, Ride. Uh, and, you know, innovative shit. Innovative shit. Saul Williams, you know, yes. um, and I'm waiting. Like, where are you, Saul Williams? I know, like, it would True. be super. I would be super honored if he even like heard that I shouted him out. Mm-hmm. You know, what an influential, phenomenal, like, instrumental poet in this times yeah. to keep up the pressure, to keep you know us moving forward um, in you know this like. This, the realm of thoughts that we can try to achieve, like the challenging the, of the narrative, the status quo, criticism, those sorts of pieces. Saul Williams is so epic um, and so poetic. Uh, and uh, obviously, one of my favorite poets is Watsky, George Watsky, and he's a big Saul Williams fan. I don't know George Watsky. I'm going to check him out now. He's amazing. Uh, and let's see. Like, so I feel like. I, I love punk rock music. It was like who I kicked it with a lot, you know, Sweet. primarily back in Kansas. Uh, it's so um, aggressive and critical and like yeah. also like in a sense, like it comes from a place of love, which is like where I feel like a lot of the aggression of marginalized people and classes is, is like, why don't you love us? You expect us to love you. Why don't wow. you fucking love us back? Yeah. You know? Or why don't we, why, why do you expect this default participation in the culture that, we, you know, like dominant culture? A reverence we, for it. Yeah, exactly. A reverence for the culture that fucking kills us. Mm-hmm. You know, like why, why would we have that? So like punk rock is just so defiant and so right there. But like, honestly, I'm too busy to like be in a scene. And unfortunately most I mean, people throw punk rock shit at me, new stuff, because, like, 
I feel like most of like where I get my new stuff from that is like live and in person. Mm. And there's so much that's like wrapped up in that subculture community too. So like uh, of like that part of it, that needing to be in person and together mm. to like experience that, um, that is like really profound to me. So, so you know, so throw me some shit, but like I love like the stormtroopers. Check out um, my friends are in a band called Dead Fucking Serious, and they made um, an album called Peril, and it's an amazing punk rock album. Yeah, a little bit punk, a little bit hardcore. Yeah, Afro punk. Like I've never been able to go. I don't get to travel very oh, much. Man, I work that, hard, working be class people. You know what I mean? I'm trying to get there. I've been trying to win tickets for years. Yeah. <laughs> They always have incredible lineups. Just, yeah, right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like, but but everything for me reaches back to and, you know, grasps this concept of, like, soul music. Nice. You know? So, like, that's where I really came up. Soul and jazz. That's what I was raised listening to. Lovely. So, you know, um, yeah, I mean, my, my family, uh, my grandpa used to sing to me all the time. Nice. Like, just... You know, he didn't know the lyrics to most songs, <laughs> mm. but he knew like the refrain and he would make up his own lyrics and I would like laugh and, at him and stuff. Yeah. But so like, you know, I'm oriented in that soul, that soul place. And um, so when I, I guess for solace, like I look back and I'm like, oh, let's listen to some Nina Simone. Like honestly, Oof. at the most fucking um, difficult gut-wrenching times in my life which i am a really resiliently happy person awesome. like i find joy and gratitude in almost anything like even pain even the struggles that i've been through even one of my favorite variants on black lives matter is black joy matters because that puts joy, it in such a yes. direct connotation to just like happiness and like the basic um infrastructure around being able to be happy how can yeah. motherfuckers hate us when no matter what, like after everything we've been through, after coming to this motherfucker, after coming to this place, we still continue to fucking, um, you know, operate as a community, as a black community, the black community mm. in our various communities from a place of joy. Sure. You know, sure. like uh, that, you know, that creation, that that like impartial. Imp I mean, a of lot culture. of the countries watching Fox News, and they never want to highlight that stuff. Their view on hip hop, which is such bullshit, they'll they'll never tell, they'll never put on a Chance album. You know, the Big Day was a Chance album that got shit on because he was happy, and it's like that's so sad. You know, they'll they'll just talk about oh, it's angry, oh, it's like destructive, and it's just speaking like, of Pharrell. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh shit! I'm sorry. That was probably really fucking loud. No, it's good. I got it uh, tapered down. On okay, the, yeah, cool. Yeah, because I got that laugh right. <laughs> so like, speaking of Pharrell, that song, right? Like, mm -hmm. what a great song. Yeah. What a fucking like objectively just beautiful song and happy. concept, happy. And then you know, listening to him talk about it, listening to him talk about how like he practices gratitude as a as a practice, you know, as a personal spiritual practice. On People a daily who are basis. only peripherally Pharrell fans too got to check out Ner.D. and see oh, how dope he is as a drummer and a oh. multi instrumentalist. <laughs> that person is just out of this world with talent. So yeah, so uh, so. It's funny how universally like celebrated that song when it was kind of like the hey ya of whatever like a couple of years ago. We even had like old white ladies doing the happy dance and stuff. <laughs> Jack and Black's in the video, like, which I like. I oh, wait, no, that's the Weird Al Tacky version. I don't Sorry. know videos, man. Okay. I don't hardly ever get to watch anything. Oh. Like except films, I do make time for films. Like when hey, I we just made time. a film. That's what I like to think about this as because we're hitting almost uh, an hour and a half. Shit. So dude. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, whatever you like. I would say that... It's a documentary. It's just a one-shot documentary. Is Fox News talking about that song? 
Like, uh, this, did they ever, like, I would love to know somebody, if you're fucking a nerd and have, like, a lot of free time, I'm going to forget this. So look it up. Let, you know, drop it in the comments. Like, did that song or a sample of that track or anything ever get, like, played on Fox News as a clip, mm. you know, in any way? Because it's so, it was so popular. And that's the thing. Right. is like, popular culture, man. It's yeah. like, even if you're not part of that, there is this like sense of it, right? Sure. Like yeah. it's in the back of your mind now. It becomes part of your, um, I don't know. Anyways, well, MF people, Doom. MF <laughs> you know, Doom. The reason I think about that is because that first sample on Deep Fried Friends is from the very first um, airing of the Weather Channel. Oh, really? Like that. Right there, like that shit is from the Weather Channel from the very first day. Like, and I'm just like, dude, fuck you. Like, That's and Houdini, beautiful. You know, like let's just you Houdini. Know, yeah, friends. Friends. How many of us have them? <laughs> friends. friends. Yeah, and so like soul, funk, jazz. Jazz is an American invention, mm -hmm. just as much as I am. Wouldn't mm -hmm. exist without this country. Mm -hmm. Me and jazz. You know, <laughs> so like, so, so, but all of that shit is also black culture, by the way, yep. cultural products produced by people that people are happy to shuck and jive to. And I'm talking about white people. It's funny how the message is like one of the earliest hip hop songs. It's like people think of mm -hmm. as a, as a song that was a, like a reality rap about like the black struggle mm -hmm. and the urban struggle at the time. But, uh, it sounds happy as shit. <laughs> like instrumentally you know just to be able to like musically just to be able to pervade the you know get to the get to where it did as a groundbreaking piece of music i just feel like it's way happier sounding and like major chords i mean that's why than... you can dance to it mm -hmm. right like mm -hmm. if we just toiled and 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 like sunk ourselves into the despair of our fucking reality and especially when so much of it is constructed yeah like as a, a black people we wouldn't exist Mm. you know but why are beats from africa still one of them like still like at the forefront the most prevalent fucking like thing that is exists in music today like bluegrass music has sure. african fucking beats you know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mariachi really all of everything is like reaching back to those fundamental rhythms from africa and maybe it's just like something they're just fundamental these rhythms you know like you they're like something there's you going. I don't like know. You're the musician. Your I'm not. Like I haven't studied music extensively, but <laughs> it's just like how many beats can you actually make? Like, is there a different? You know, everything like, is a remix of a remix. Exactly. So like, but but it's a remix of a remix of a remix of some shit that they try to take from us. They try to take our fucking music from us, and it's still here. You're not an it's Elvis that, fan. What are you talking about? It's that persistent. <laughs> well, no. I mean, they take the shit and capitalize on it. But what I mean, is like, you know, in Brazil, fucking slaves couldn't practice their uh african people who slave african people could not practice their fucking uh like martial arts or or f any fighting styles when they were brought so the capoeira you mm. know uh exists okay uh the drums were seen as uh something that could be a potential threat because of the messaging uh possibilities out of drums so like they had to be uh you know used utilize the the utilization of drumming and the rhythms of africa had to be um you know shielded or, or disguised by like 
uh, religious practice, you know, within religious practice, hence gospel, hence, you know, so all of those things. And so like, yeah. these are unconquered cultural threads that we still have, that we still live in today. And in fact, a lot of motherfuckers make a lot of money off of, you know, <laughs> like, and, yeah. and, ho and I'm so proud of musicians because they're like, nah, I'm recognizing this. And so like, it's becoming, yep. um, where it became more concentrated, the music industry. Uh, uh, another thing I'm proud of with the campaign I ran for mayor of Eugene was that like, you know, I'm being told like, oh, you're running too much of a left field, like weird issues. Like, and I was talking, I had a lot of like, I had art policies. I had a full eight part art policy plan important. about art and about performers and about, and about musicians and trying to like, like a lot of these like venues have not had much reason to celebrate city of Eugene policymaking and like food and beverage establishments and like people that put on shows, stand up comedy, all this stuff. And, uh, it's hard I, to survive Honestly, here. uh, history proved me right a little bit. Cause when COVID hit, those are some of the most marginalized and most uh, affected communities as performing artists. So people who make our life worth living. So I have no regret over the fact that I put that right up alongside housing and mental health and, and uh, you know, transportation as things that we need to look at. Protection and space for people making art and making the culture is like mandatory. Mm -hmm. You know, um, people are worried about communism making us all wear gray jumpsuits and, you know, having no joy and that sort of shit. But at least, you know, like, I mean, but they're not even looking at the reality of right now, like the rent is too damn high in Eugene to create art for a lot of people. We've got to make that party happen, that political party. The rent is too damn high party. I mean, it's already <laughs> exists. Like you're just talking about bringing it back. Like right. I'm down for solidarity platform, you know, yeah. taking on that fucking meme, right? That yeah. cultural meme. Yep. And just, but it's not a meme. It's a reality. Like mm -hmm. the rent is so high. I'm from Wichita, Kansas. The rent is dirt cheap there. Do you know how much mm. art people make? Do you like, yeah. uh, you know, like, do you know how much free art there is to experience? How much access to materials there are? How much music is coming out of that place? Beautiful. You know, um, and Wichita. Yeah, I'm from Wichita. Wow. It's nice. a big ass music scene, big ass art scene. Uh -huh. Um, and the rent is dirt fucking cheap. <laughs> like I sure. I have a house that's half the size of the one I rented in Wichita and it cost or uh that house was twice as big and it cost half as much as this house that I rent here. Mm. So like um, Amazing. but you know, there's always a trade-off, right? You know, yep. like there's also an oppressive police state. Damn, we didn't even talk about gentrification, but we got a lot of Californians coming into, to, uh, once they've accrued, you know, six figure savings and living out here in Eugene and it's, and it's spiking the rent up for people who, you know, grew up here. They passed. Mm -hmm. They're ethnically like innocuous, right? <laughs> Like they uh, lived in a place where they had an opportunity to uh, ex operate on an economic scale that was above and beyond other people's. That's one of the reasons I moved to the West Coast is because we were living in Kentucky. Mm. And I was like, I love Kentucky, dude. But you know Sounds what? I can awesome. never make enough money here as a black woman with my skill set doing the things that I care about doing to sure. be able to like branch out and go anywhere. Right. Um, so, I mean, I'm not saying never, but the likelihood is low. So if right. I start from this ec economic position here in Eugene where yeah. things are just more expensive the amount that I make like if I decided to check the fuck out I could walk away mm. and have enough to to survive somewhere else beautiful not not conversely so beautiful. so yeah so the music right so so yep. for me awesome music is life well the last question I always ask people is and you can interpret this however you want what's one way we could all be a little less stupid <sighs> Gosh, one way. 
I guess I would say, like, listen to other people, right? Yes. And be, oh, this is not one way, right? Like, this is not one way. Like, I guess be okay with fucking up and be real comfortable with apologizing, Mm. you know, for your mistakes, but also be be real comfortable with accepting apologies, Mm. you know? Yeah. Like, because that's the great fear, right? Is, is a a great fear of people. I feel like holding grudges is about, is a little bit about power. Like, Oh, I have power over this narrative and this situation because this person did something bad to me or this person thinks I did something bad and I'm not going to apologize because it's, it's going to be a reduction in my power or something. And that happens in spaces where we all feel disempowered is like we cling to what we have, but no, you gotta get, you gotta let go of that. You, I mean, there is so much more, to be gained out of genuinely reconciling out of negative vibes. Well, I mean, if you don't like somebody, you don't like them. Sure, right? you don't have to. But you should be able to have that conversation and not mean that you have to kill each other. Right. You know, like, yeah. j- just because I don't like you doesn't mean I want you dead. So, like, that's a fucking message I have to put out there. Like, really, it's fascist. Like, that fucking fuck <laughs> with me the most. Like, because mm. here we are screaming for our lives and yeah, some people fuck some shit up and they're going to get dealt with, but, and they got dealt with, but like wanting to kill us rather than wanting to hear us, you know, and, and figure out like what we could do better moving forward. Um, is just like, there's that like blind, they have blinders on Mm. and their ears are shut. Mm. I like when you said, listen to other people because you didn't say a, a certain kind of other people. You didn't say, you know, you just basically said other people implies that they have a different experience than you that you can learn from. That's it. It's important. Like even this moment, like how we experience this conversation, I'm expecting a debrief, right? (laughs) Like, no, when the camera's off, I'm really like, we don't have. I'm probably going to go straight home and and, uh, get this ready to put out tomorrow. We don't have alienation, like, because of alienation and like the exploitation of our labor, we don't have enough time to unpack that shit. So, I guess Mm. my dream society is an age of leisure one where like we realize that we've achieved this like technological uh, capacity and ability for people to just take a fucking break. And Killer Mike talks about that a lot. And look at each other. We shouldn't have jobs, we should all just be chilling. Yeah. I love it. I mean, that's fucking economic theories and principles, <laughs> founding ones, classical and neoliberal and Marxist mm. and, you know, um, primitive economics, for lack of a better term. I hate the fucking word primitive. Have you seen his trigger warning show? You know, like I said, I don't get to watch much. <sighs> I do like, I did it's see like great. a couple of episodes. The, the one Church on, of like, Sleep. He has a, uh, <laughs> he's got a friend named Sleepy and he's amazing. Well, I'm a tourist, so I always got to be doing shit all the time. Beautiful. Well, thank you for taking time to do this. This was a really wonderful conversation. Shit, dude. We can hang out. Yeah. We're homies now. (laughs) We're We're homies. homies (laughs) All right. All right, Thomas. No, thank you for having me. Folks, stay safe out there, please. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Nazis and Do you you want to plug anything? Anything that you're doing? killing people. Yes. Um, I guess plugging that is important. (laughs) You know, like, could you stop killing other fucking Americans? And other people in general, mm-hmm. uh, do I want to plug something right now? Uh, no, because, well, yes, I do. Because deregulation is a thing that we're actually uh, facing. And, like, uh, it is it is interlinked with everything, like industrial mm. deregulation, deregulation as a policy. So, uh, 
deregulate and die. That's what we fucking have to face. Hmm. Stop, don't, you know, stop being racist or die. What do you or mean kill. by industrial deregula- deregulation? Yeah, Trump believes that uh, the, the, uh, by deregulating industries in terms of their like uh, responsibilities to the yes. planet, it's just like yes. um, that. That's how we're gonna like foster economic recovery. It's gonna <laughs> help the stock market, sure. but it's not get like the economics is. Well, I don't. Know. Anyways. one of my favorite quotes I heard recently from Crystal Ball and Sagar and Jetty. They got it, Crystal got it from somewhere else. The stock market is a graph of how rich people are feeling. Yeah, it's a graph of rich people's feelings. It's how it's a graph of how rich people think that their uh their um process and fucking orientation of exploitation is gonna go for you know in the short and long term. Amazing. So the, when the stock market does better, that means they think that they can exploit us better. That's the that's the whole thing. It's like they have this belief not that things are gonna get better and that things are gonna be um more humane, but that that their ability to exploit us will continue for you know, the foreseeable future, right? They've had plenty of reason to think that, you know, like based on what the structures that, that they and their, uh, you know, four, forefathers have reified for them to be able to do that. In the long so, run, all profits return to zero and it's either going to be nature or fucking the people who do that, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We don't want it to be nature because that mm-hmm, means we're gone. Mm-hmm. So let it be beautiful. All right. This has been wonderful. Thanks for those who stuck through it to the end. And uh, we'll see you next week. Sorry, I stutter, motherfuckers. <laughs> you are one of the I most love you all. well-spoken people on the pod. I love you all. And I, re- I really fucking mean it. Even Hell the yeah. assholes. Hell yeah. <laughs> Gotta love the assholes. Peace.